0: Your file says that you're... a Machine, correct, sir. Does that trouble you? To be honest, yes. A little? Understood, sir. Prejudice is very human. Now that does trouble me. Do you consider yourself superior to us? I am superior, sir, in many ways. But I would gladly give it up to be human. Nice to meet you, Pinocchio. Space. The final frontier.
1: These are the recordings of the podcast Give Me That Star Trek. Its ongoing mission. To explore all of Star Trek. To seek out new guests and new opinions. To boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 41 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and today we're talking about androids with returning guest Scott X. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Thank you very much. It's good to be part of the crew once again. This is a topic you pitched, so I guess my first question, even before we get into the topic, is... What's your interest, your particular interest in androids and artificial life?
2: I think one thing, I, you know, you and I talked about this a long time ago when I did my first episode, just some different ideas we had as far as what we might be able to talk about. And the androids, I think, for me, were just always interesting because of how they're depicted in Star Trek. And, and I, I always think Star Trek at its best is sort of both a mirror and a canvas. And of course, we have the wonderful character of Data in Star Trek, and I think he embodies both. And how... We use the characters of the androids as a vehicle to tell stories about the world that we live in now, as well as in the 23rd or 24th century. And I think it kind of came back to the forefront of my mind after watching the most recent Star Trek series iteration of Picard. And um, listener beware, we will be discussing
1: that show and that ending and the ramifications for Androids as a species, I mean, the show already touched upon it in the, the species bracket. You know, there we there was mention there, but we tried to keep it spoiler light for people who were late to watching the show. But at this point, I'm sorry, folks, by the end of this, we will spoil the Picard series. Because it, it is so, it is about androids in many ways. It is a quest for Data's progeny. And it moves the Android story or the Sung type Android story
2: forward substantially. And as you said, data story, which, of course, is is one of great interest to, I'm sure, many of your listeners. But I also think in the times that we live in right now, there's a whole lot of ideas that are – and again, that's something we'll talk about in that – series of Picard and how that maybe relates to some things that we're seeing in our own world today as well. You don't have any kind of expertise in AI, right? It's not a... No, absolutely not. You're not an AI
1: scientist.
2: No, no, I'm not secretly an (laughs) AI scientist. Um, I have, I just, I read a little bit about things that interest me. That is a little bit of one of them, but it, my, I am very much a viewer of Star Trek and viewer and a consumer of science fiction and Android from that standpoint. But I have no particular expertise. So I think this is fun because you and I can talk about this and maybe that helps spur some discussion too in the discussion board uh, on the website when we're finished. It opens the door also to, actual
1: discussions about ai if if anyone out there is a particular expert and wants to talk about that i think we're gonna come at it from a storytelling perspective you know what what do androids mean in a way and less so the science which we are laymen at best agreed still we need to define what an android is because it's not a robot it's you know and we read uh we read comics as well so we've We've seen many terms. Yes. Synthesoid and, you know, (laughs) different beings have different names for themselves. But data does define himself. Android is, is something particular. So how would you describe an android as opposed to? other mechanical or synthetic forms of life?
2: Well, I I, I just basically went to what any person would do. I went online and looked up a dictionary. All right. And to see, there are several several different definitions, but they're essentially the same. Merriam-Webster calls it a mobile robot, usually with a human form. Dictionary.com calls it an automation in the form of a human being. Collins Dictionary, in science fiction books and films, an android is a robot that looks like a human being. The Macmillan Dictionary defines it as, in stories, a machine that looks and behaves like a human. So more or less, it is a mechanical tool almost that looks and behaves as a human or particularly looks as a human. Right. Um, the the root word, andro, means man. And, and Data, as you said in the classic Star Trek The Next Generation episode, uh, The Measure of a Man, Data, in story, um, said that Webster's 24th Century Dictionary, 5th edition, defined an android as an automaton made to resemble a human being. So the in-story definition, I think, is very similar to the out-of-story definition as what an android is. Right,
1: exactly. And the point is, a big mechanical arm... That's building cars or helping Tony Stark, you know, that is a robot because it does not have a human form, but you can use, you can only use the word android when it does, but it does not necessarily suggest sentience, which was the whole point of the measure of a man. Right. So exactly. uh, And and this show did a table read of that exact episode. So it's fresh in our minds. If it wasn't already, because I feel like that's one of the episodes, that's a TNG episode. I seem to have memorized. You know, it is so striking. It is such one of the best episodes. That episode defines Data as life. I mean, that this is something I think we took for granted when we watched, you know, at first. There is a character. He's played by a, by a human being. We feel something for this character. To us, he is a person. And everybody acts like he's a person. There's no question of that until Maddox shows up in The Measure of a Man and uh, questions that. Here it is legally defined, and from then on, and I think it becomes a template for whenever we have a synthetic character on Star Trek, and we will have others, like the Doctor on Voyager, but none of these characters are androids. So, because, you know, a hologram is a different thing, the the computer, if it became sentient, you know, it's happened. Right. AI is not an android, but the androids that we follow, of course they have artificial intelligence,
2: but it doesn't mean that AI is necessarily automatically... Sentient. And I think it's interesting too. You mentioned Data and how, when Star Trek: The Next Generation came on, we took it for granted. We have feeling for Data. We see him as a character, but how that evolved in Star Trek continuity from the androids that we saw in the original series, how those androids were perceived or um, utilized within the stories, to Data, and then like we said, with the Measure of a Man, an android became defined at least legally in the Star Trek universe as a life form. But even later on within the next generation, there seems to be that that legal statute perhaps is not viewed in that same way, even within the crew of the Enterprise, which we can talk about when we get to some of the particular episodes or, or how the androids sort of evolve or or how they're viewed by humans evolves. Let's explore that question of artificial life versus natural life.
1: For Star Trek, and they are looking for new species, new life and new civilizations, you know, that, that stuff. And defining life must be... A constant evolution in the Federation, I imagine. You know, how do we define that life? Because if we find life that is extremely different, and Star Trek does that a lot, beings that are just consciousness, beings that are microscopic, beings that we see that this kind of, from time to time, there is a first contact with a very alien species. We must define life, or actually, we must broaden our definition of what we understand to be life every time.
2: Yeah, and it it seems like there is a differentiation here between what they call artificial life and sentience. For sure, because you can have artificial life, perhaps. I mean, even I was looking up just uh, definitions of things, as I said, and there is a definition. It's a legal definition of an artificial being, which is a legal term, at least here in the United States, Oh, that, that is like a corporation. A corporation or the law is considered an artificial being or an art or artificial person in the sense that a corporation has rights under some in some ways as does a person, legal rights. So there is a definition of that, but it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So what is the precedence for artificial life? When we think of it in this terms, it's more something that's been created. And to me, it has a mechanical component. Would you agree with that? Well, even the holograms that have become sentient or uh, their
1: sentience is in question, there is a mechanical process by which they are projected. Right. Right. So yes, I would agree with, with that, that they are built and that they are mechanical. Well, I mean, we could have an artificial being that was like a Frankenstein's monster, which would, right. they would still be a created species. Like we could create a cloned
2: species, which the Dominion has, for example. Well, I, I, some of the definitions that I saw too, it talks about the difference between. Um, creation from a natural biological process versus creation from a mechanical process. Even if it's not a mechanical life, is it a mechanical process or a okay. scientific process versus the national evolution of biology? Right. And again, you can choose to agree with that or disagree with that because I think it is a little bit vague, frankly. In the story, in, in when we talk about Star Trek, we just always – Oh, it's human life and artificial life. And it's not really delved into with any great depth. What is the difference? Most of the time when it's depicted, it does seem to have that mechanical component. And so people react differently
1: to a an artificial being as opposed to a biological one. So you would react the same way to you know a Vorta that you would a human or a Klingon. I mean, obviously, cultural differences make you react right. differently. But then when there's an artificial being that shows up, There is an immediate different reaction, especially if we're talking about androids, because obviously other forms can look different. You know, other robots can look different. But an android looks like a person and in the show is very often emulating a person. It's not just the question that they look like a human being. They are also they have a relationship with that. They hate humanity. They think they're human. They want to be human. I mean, there's always that... Because it's Star Trek and it's exploring the human condition, those androids are mirror characters. They are... Maybe they don't know their androids, because that happens a lot, especially in the original series. They do, but they are copying their creators. Or maybe they hate their creators for having been enslaved, uh, created as a slave race. But there is always a relationship with living beings. Where I mean... They're all living beings. You see, we get
2: mixed up in these definitions, yeah. right? If they're difficult. They're blurred lines, basically. I think between that, even in, you know, in the original series in particular, early on, especially the androids were always depicted as subservient, and they they didn't seem to be depicted as living beings in the same way that Data came to be viewed as a living being. Because they were programmed, it seemed like. They had a programmed function, and they were always seem lesser in some way, right or wrong. I, I think there was, what was it, in uh, Requiem for Methuselah? In particular, I, there was a line that I, I remember where... Stay out of this. We're fighting over a woman. No, you're not. For she is not. So right away, they said, well, you can't fight over a woman because she's an android, she's not a woman. So we, in, in, at that time, they were very different about that. Now, I would be interested to know how that would be viewed differently... That interspecies relationship, they never really explored that in quite the same way in uh, the next generation. They touched on it, but it was a little bit viewed a little bit differently. TOS was a, a sort of Buck Rogers approach yes. to androids. So
1: none of them were in the crew, obviously, but when we met them, they were often very limited. You could confuse them with logic problems. You could make them blow up by kissing them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was a, a simpler Saturday matinee kind
2: of science fiction element to them. And it was, I would say, it was an interesting dichotomy because they were always, it seemed like in the original series, it was always, oh, this species that was, you know, thousands of years ago, they made these androids. And they were far more technologically advanced than the Federation, except, like you said, Kirk could talk sideways to them and then they blew up. They didn't have that capacity to go beyond any programming or to evolve they simply were what they were with a couple exceptions it seems well i mean that one where the
1: old ones um right you know what what are little girls made of some of those androids thought they were alive you know or you could copy a human being as an android with all their memory engrams and everything so there was a very advanced technology which we actually
2: is recreated by humanity in picard (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that. And it's interesting because two things with that. Like you said, it seemed like the, the android then was also used as a cure for the human frailty. The android itself had its own flaws. It was limited in its programming and its ability to understand or feel emotion. And they would often talk about placing the human mind into the android body because the human frailty is its physical frailty, so to speak. Well, now you combine the two. And which, again, is sort of addressed at the very end of Picard, which we can get to later. Mm-hmm. And what, what does that really mean? When they do it, there's a break. There.
1: There's, there's a psychic yes. break. The human consciousness inside a machine ultimately cannot cope. You know, right. ultimately loses feeling, loses empathy. It's, it's speaking to what the human machine is, which is, you know, whatever we think is our mind and th- what makes us us. A lot of that is biological, is a, right. are reactions that if, if I didn't have a human body, you know, I wouldn't get anxiety, <laughs> you know, because anxiety right. is manifest physically. It is, you know, it's, it's part of your nerve system. It's, you know, that gut punch you would not get as an android unless it was extremely sophisticated. But like in that episode, there is a, a person that has been, Put into an an android body ceases to understand how to love, or they do a lot of that, right? So the celebration of the human being must then include that frailty. The human being that has become immortal because he's a machine is no longer a human being, is what the message of
2: the original show. It's interesting just to think about how they viewed that. And again, to me, it was again just a tool. They kept reiterating that, where again, in the next generation, Picard often, you know, I shouldn't say often, but it, Several times he mentioned the humans are just a machine of a different kind, he said. That became viewed a little bit differently. In the original series, they were machines, we were human. Now it's we're both machines, just machines of a different kind. And how we react to the world is different, and that also makes us different. TNG is a more
1: empathetic show. Yes. There is a counselor on board. It is about family. There there is a, a, a different emotional landscape in TNG, certainly. And in that era,
2: I always felt like, and again, this goes off topic a little bit, but I think it shows up in how we see androids and other things in the series is that the original series was, again, a product of its time, the 1960s esque, you know, man on the moon, external exploration, where the next generation, as you alluded to earlier, was a little bit more almost of an introspective nature after the fall of, you know, communism and stuff in the 80s when it was created how are we looking at ourselves how do we view ourselves in our place in the world there were two different kind of lenses through which the shows were viewed right and people were a lot of people were
1: going into therapy and there was a lot about mm-hmm. working on yourself which is part of tng's you know message or at least it's themes and then data becomes our friend it's not like the one off monstrous we do get that lore is the example right right. lore is the man-hating android but now we have a, a friendly android an android that is also he's the spock figure you know we're exploring humanity through him so what does it mean to be human when you are missing some of those components and asking questions naively that we wouldn't ask because we take things for granted but data can't take a sense of humor for granted. You know he has to explore that idea. Uh, so through him, we are basically looking at ourselves. I do want to address something interesting about Data upfront that somebody brought up to me. I am sorry, I lost, who, I lost the name of whoever mentioned it because I'm not sure on what platform that listener was basically saying how strange it was that Data just wanted to be human when an android could be almost anything, be so much more. Why are you limiting yourself to even... Why aren't you just plugged into something and processing information at the speeds that he can? You know, why wear clothes? Why want to be human? And of course, it's for storytelling purposes. But an android could be much more. I think the Picard show kind of pushes us in that direction eventually. Broadens those horizons. But I was sort of taken by... um I've been rewatching. The modern Battlestar Galactica recently. Mm-hmm. And the Cylons that have been made human, uh, yes. the, the villain of the piece is angry at his creators because as a machine, he could have been so much more. He didn't want to see through human eyes. He didn't want to speak through human, a human mouth. He didn't want to be limited by our senses, our emotions, our biology, because the human Cylons kind of still have our, you know, our biology. Why have all these limits? When AI can do much more, could be in any kind of body, and so uh, data becomes a very limited figure when you look at it that way. I just wanted to mention that because it, it should be part of the discussion. As a story, of course we understand data's function. In the universe, that limit that is put on data, does that make sense? Is Dr. Sung completely insane? Could he have created something more powerful than that? Why didn't he? I'm asking.
2: I think it's one of those things that's interesting, like you said, why does Data choose to relate to humans? I think, well, in story there's a couple things. He has or holds the memories of the the colonists at Omicron Theta, right? Somehow. So right away, so, so <laughs> somehow they place yeah. themselves at him, so right away that's something that as he was awoken, he was related to, was that sense of humanity. And I think Dr. Soong himself, and again, this is where it gets, again, to go ahead to spoil to Picard, but Dr. Soong has another child, a human child, which we've never heard about before. But in the original Next Generation stories, he was meant to be Dr. Soong's progeny. So they were made to be in the image of humanity. So I think there's that component as well. And then also, I think there's always the idea of creation in the sense that, These are mechanical beings. Data himself as an android, the flaws or the limitations of a created being are going to mimic probably to some degree the flaws of the creators. So every time we talk about um, artificial intelligence or these androids, well, they're flawed. They go crazy and try to destroy, you know, life or whatever. Well, ultimately, don't those ideas have to be programmed in to that being? From the start. So they're the flaws in humanity that are manifesting in this being. And are, when, what are the limitations? Do you program in limitations and for what purpose? Right. Well, there's moral, uh, there's, you know, sure. the, the Isaac Asimov
1: thing, where you don't want the an Android to become dangerous. So you program in a sort of morality. But also, I mean, if we're talking about AI, AI as we understand it to be as a study, Is really about making artificial beings able to think and adapt and imagine and, you know, do things that we do, you know, basically program themselves just like we do. I mean, that's the goal, right? So I think that we see that in in data and in these androids that aren't so limited that we're allowed to have by TNG, they can
2: grow. They are sentient in a way that MUD's androids were not. And it is interesting when you talk again about what Dr. Soong or, or whoever the creators of the androids were. I read this about an AI researcher that I was reading about online. And this researcher wrote, and I and I quoted this. I thought it was interesting. Complexity alone does not create emergent behavior. There needs to be an initial cause, and that needs to be programmed in. Okay. And that's current AI theory. Now, how that evolves to into in story to the 23rd century, their idea was that even emergent behavior, the ability to have emergent behavior, needs to be programmed in. So you would otherwise limit it. Like you said with Asimov's, you know, laws of robotics that were programmed in was to limit to a certain degree what the AI was able to develop to, whether it be empathy or all those different things. But it seems like Dr. Sung in story programmed those abilities into data, but with sort of checks and balances, meaning he had to sort of like the 12 tasks of Hercules or something had to achieve this, To open this pathway and then achieve this to open this pathway, such as with emotions. Or dreams. He sort of learned a lesson by giving this broader ability earlier to Lore and what happened. Lore couldn't, again, like the other androids, Lore could not assimilate those ideas. There was an internal contradiction there. There was too much for them to effectively process. And so Data had to learn, I guess you would call it wisdom in some degree, before taking on the next human like trait it 's funny because I was just talking to someone um, I
1: think last night, uh, and we were talking about the how algorithms, which are a form of AI you know right. z- operate, and it was about those algorithms eventually becoming racist. It was software that was meant to parse out job applications and mm. choose impartially who should go to the interview portion. Without bias, because the AI does not, it should not know to discriminate based on race or gender or name or whatever it is. That emergent behavior you're talking about, there is a seed there that was programmed in at the beginning. Eventually, the software, this is when it was abandoned, the software would become biased itself.
2: It would naturally become prejudiced. And, and again, it, it's, it's the flaw of the creator. If the prejudices, consciously or unconsciously, the prejudices of the individual programming the algorithm or writing the algorithm are probably eventually going to show up in the algorithm.
1: I mean, those things, how does an algorithm work? It is scanning your past choices. So if your past choices were prejudiced, right, then eventually it will begin to think that this is what it should be doing and will be prejudiced in its – and of course, any false premise Which is a prejudice is a false premise. Any false premise that you input into it, you know, it will be driven by that. So I think lore is that lore is exactly the. Okay. I made an artificial being. He's got AI and naturally he becomes a bad person. (laughs) You know, it's like, right there. There is something there. In emotions and in that if you give them the whole package right away, it will spiral. And eventually, that being, by making a trillions of calculations a second, will be corrupted that way. Of course, lore is older. Data has to be a newer model. Data is a, an evolving
2: being. I think like lore was too finished right. too quickly. You see that in other science fiction, too, where... You know, they have to learn. It's just about learning, and that is part of the human condition. And that seems to be something that was left out of lore. And I think Data says something about that to Lal in the TNG episode The Offspring, where where Lall asks, you know, something about, well, if you if you can never have emotions, if that's never something, or you can never be human, why do you endeavor to be human? And Data says something along the lines of, I
0: have asked myself that many times as I have struggled to be more human, until I realized it is the struggle itself that is most important. We must strive to be more than we are, Law. It does not matter that we will never reach our ultimate goal. The effort yields its own rewards. You are wise, Father.
2: That is part of his programming, is is to learn. It's the learning that makes you ultimately... More human, the willingness to learn to change and evolve, do you believe he has no emotions? No, I think that in my estimation, and again this this all goes back to again some of the definitions of sentience, which I, I have a big long passage here that I can break down, but part of the definition of sentience is empathy, and data shows empathy over and over and over again, and that to me is part of having emotion how data understands emotion, processes emotion, expresses emotion, may be different, but he most certainly has empathy. It's probably his main characteristic. Absolutely. And again, in some ways, Data is more human because he sees it from the outside and he sees the value of qualities such as empathy. Just the fact that he is trying to understand humanity means he is constantly being empathetic. Yes. Data is never a cold... Character, you know, unless he's possessed or something. And again, like you said, he he has that self awareness to understand his limitations as well. And to me, that's he, he'll often tell people, "I cannot return your love," but he's saying that. Because he's empathetic and he needs them to understand his limitations with respect to love. Right. So in, in an essence, that, that is, that's empathy. And it's not too far from what TOS was
1: doing with emotional context and androids in that without a proper biological body, there are emotions that are, I won't say strictly physical, but that are... Physical. Right. And stress and, and and, and love and, uh, surprise and laughter. Those kinds of things evidently, you know, are physical. So without that dimension, obviously those android bodies can simulate it because lore has it and data eventually has it but it's like it needs the chip to activate those tear ducts and that, that obviously those bodies are built with stress simulators with anxiety simulators with you know so it's just without the the, the biological context of an emotion he feels like he well he feels <laughs> he can't feel the emotion but Intellectually, he certainly does have loyalty and friendship and yes, love. It's just intellectual and it doesn't have right. that component where your heart start beating faster where, you know, but it's, it's still there. And for a, an android brain, say, if you're in love, you're thinking about that person all the time. Well, data can obviously can compartmentalize. <laughs> that in a subroutine somewhere right. so uh, like in in theory where he is dating a mm-hmm. person part of him is thinking about her but of course his brain isn't built like ours where we would be overwhelmed by that because it is more sophisticated in a way it is faster it's got more capacity in a way than a human brain but he is feeling the I, he's not feel is, that's the point he's not feeling those things but he is expressing those things he he does manifest Emotions—they just don't have that physical component.
2: Well, and, and it is interesting again, about that idea of process. You know, being by profession, I'm a healthcare worker, and we talk about pain. What is pain? There certainly is a, is a physical sensation to pain, but there's a psychological component to pain as well. How do we perceive pain? If you touch a hot stove, we have nociceptors in our hands that receives that signal and sends it to our brain. We know it's hot. But there's a difference between, oh, you know, oh, that's hot. And you learn not to touch it again, you know, versus, oh, yes, that's heat. That's the sensation part. but But how do we process pain is part of its emotion. We feel viscerally that pain more so than just the sensation of pain. That's part of, again, what differentiates us between human. Does data have that? Does data feel pain? I don't know. He does, but he doesn't. I mean, he knows when he's being damaged. Right. He can feel that part of it. But he doesn't necessarily have the visceral emotional response to pain. So he could put his hand in a fire and watch his skin burn without
1: that emotional context, you know, without fear. Because fear is an emotion that is physically felt. So he doesn't have that. So intellectually, he knows he's being damaged. But he can choose to let himself be damaged. He can probably turn off pain receptors. Right, if at all, they are interfering with his mind, but it's certainly not the same way that we are. So we have to accept that he's built differently as well, and that's part of the key, is too. But does that make him any less alive? Right. No. Imagine all these shows written now, which I, I understand that Picard is that is that, but but imagine us thinking about the same events. Let's say it's written exactly the same, and that's something that struck me when you were talking about Requiem for Methuselah, where that story with with Spock today. That that same dialogue would resonate in, okay, are we talking about trans people? Right. You know, there is that component, and then the show suddenly is saying something that it doesn't want to say, probably because that's not what was written for. But if we were writing it today and saying exactly the same thing, we would actually be seeing – that element of it with data, and I I, I saw it recently. Like the um, you know last time's guest, Chloe. For her, the androids were key to her liking TNG. She was you know she just ran through TNG in that period, and that's how the table read got its start. Right. And one of the things that interested her is androids as people on the autism spectrum. Sure. That they are not neurotypical. Looking at data today or lore for that matter or any of them the fact that androids are not human neurotypical is part of their difference but we're not saying that people that are neurotypical aren't human right so it's just it just becomes like a metaphor that they never really were touching in the original intent but today we can look at these characters and say well that is an example of atypical neural uh, you know as long as they are thinking and feeling be, I mean, not, they don't even have to feel because aliens can have completely different emotional ranges. Star Trek doesn't do that, a lot of that because all aliens are kind of us or a dimension of us because that's just the trope. But right. aliens are different. Androids are different. But humans are not the only species or culture or biology or mindset or way of interpreting the universe that there is. That's part of the Star Trek ethos. So yes, androids have to be. People.
2: I wrote this down in my notes because it kind of feeds into what you said. And you had mentioned before, one of the things I wrote in my notes was an android versus Spock. There was an exchange um, at the very beginning of iMud where the Norman character somehow gets on the Enterprise and is you know, brought on as a member of the crew. Don't even get me started on how that could happen, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. But this guy walks by and McCoy says, there's something wrong about a man who never smiles, whose conversation never varies from the routine of the job and who won't talk about his background. And Spock says, hmm, I see. Well, Spock, I, I mean, it's odd for a non-Vulcan. The ears make all the difference. He tries to make something humor about yeah. it. Spock says,
0: I find your arguments strewn with gaping defects in logic. Maybe, but you can't evaluate a man by logic alone.
2: And I just found it interesting how this was an android, and there was Spock, and the things that McCoy was hacking on about the what we learn is an android... Are the same thing as Spock, but no one would ever question that Spock was alive or sentient.
1: They might question other things because there was, you know, a streak of racism in sure. TOS. You know, some members of the crew yes. resented Spock quite a bit. Yes. Even when McCoy goes on board the Enterprise D, you know, he makes a crack about data possibly being a Vulcan. You know, he notices yeah. right away that there's a difference. Yeah, there is a difference. And th- those things don't play so well if I put that. Neural atypicality filter on top of it. Oh, right. (laughs) McCoy never looked good in these moments.
2: You know, it's part of the humor of the show. But I want to go back to something you said, too, about the physical sensations and, and those kind of things. In the original series, that episode, Return to Tomorrow. And this is going to tie directly into Picard, uh, as you said, was that idea of those disembodied emotions and intellect. They were going to put themselves into android bodies so that they could have, you know, they could interact with the outside world. And then they went into and this is a whole nother goofy in story thing, but they put themselves in humans to build the android bodies, and then when they got those sensations again, they didn't want to be in androids, because they had forgotten, so to speak, what those human sensations were. And I found that to be interesting. I don't think it was a level at all intended in that show, but that idea of putting that human consciousness into an android body shows up again, obviously, at the end of Picard, which we will certainly get to.
1: (laughs) Yes, And, and probably the second season of Picard will... Have to address that. And they've said, oh, yes. they said they will address it, that it's not like a weird mulligan or anything. <laughs> it's, it's going to feature as a subplot or as a, as the plot. So again, TOS is very much about the human form is to be celebrated. Putting ourselves in machines is not the way to go. Uh, immortality is bad for you because you got all these godlike beings none of them are very nice maybe the organians but they're still messing
2: around there isn't an idea that trying to better ourselves you can't take shortcuts you can't lose sight of become too out of touch right that you lose sight of i don't i hate to say lesser beings but that's sort of how they're reflected upon there the evolution seems to very much go in a intellectual direction versus a physical direction all the advanced beings seem to be on the intellectual level versus advancing physicality other than the mechanical being that seems to be the evolution of the physical and then this then we have blinking lights always that seem to be the (laughs) the intellectual they're they're just lights in disembodied right eventually you grow out of the physical.
1: It was always, in TOS, it was strictly humanity must be celebrated. You can't lose touch with what makes you human. And even in characters like Spock, the idea was that he was underneath it all human
2: he just suppressed aspects right. of it.
1: well the our definition of what is human i know the klingons think that's racist of kirk in um, star trek 6 because he uses human just to mean people i understand that different species have different names and that you can't just but i think in star trek the idea is that human humanity is everybody has a humanity that is not meant to be species specific it means right. people and uh, right. androids are people klingons are people vulcans are people There's just different kinds of people, and the more different kinds of people that we get to meet, to understand, to empathize with, the better we are as individuals and as a group. You know, that's basically the message. And there is a common thread between all. And androids are part of that because they are our children in the way that they're portrayed here. They are the creatures that we – not the species that we found, but the, the species that we made. You're right. This is how we're evolving physically. Because socially, I think that's the Star Trek universe has evolved socially. And at one right. point, where okay, this is what human beings are going to be. Evolution is not going to change that our physicality because we're no longer living in physical nature and we don't need to evolve in that way. So we're evolving socially, and it's a utopia because we've evolved socially up to the point where everything kind of is kind of easy, and so we're we're setting a bigger obstacles for ourselves to expand that, and so it's expanding knowledge and expanding our social understanding of the universe and all of that. The eventual step that we are supposed to take is eventually we're going to become consciousnesses like all these, other, you know, like the Q we used to be physical and now no longer are. That's like end game. But in the meantime, we are working on creating life, which is without becoming godlike beings, this is us being God. In a way, you know, suing is
2: playing God. Yeah. Again, it's that creationist idea. What makes us evolved is that an ability to create something else in our own image. Yes, well, exactly.
1: It's very biblical because it is in our own image that we are making these people. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know, even Data makes a, another being. But for him, it, that's that's natural. It has to be, you know, because he's making someone that is like him in Lal.
2: That was the episode that I was thinking of, too, when we talked about that the, the android and Data was legally defined as alive but then in that episode you know picard says to data well i wish you would have told me you know that you were planning on doing this and data says to him
0: i have not observed anyone else on board consulting you about their procreation captain
2: and picard just kind of looks at him so picard of all the people understands that Data is alive but in some respects he still doesn't see him the same way perhaps unconsciously he just says that Uh, Because he sees other things or other capabilities in data that are different and how his progeny would be treated differently and be utilized differently and looked at differently. And then, of course, that admiral comes on board and wants to take LOL away. Well, doesn't that sort of fly in the face of the the legal ruling that we had in the measure of a man? How could you just take someone's child because you think they're not rearing them appropriately? Starfleet has rights to do that. I don't know. I mean, it's like real law. There is a law out there.
1: There, somebody made a ruling, There's a that's a precedent. You still have to go back to court to defend your right, right your point, your little corner of it. And then right. somebody uses that precedent.
2: In story, you know, Maddox defined three criteria of sentience, intelligence, self-awareness, consciousness, which, of course, we had a court trial, which Picard kind of went through so i found this definition of sentience which i want to read here i I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because this is this can be really deep but i found it and again this goes a whole nother direction in the encyclopedia of animal behavior this is all based on animals so i'm going to read their criteria and, and realize when they're talking about this they're talking about animals but i think we can graft it onto androids or artificial life Their criteria was first was self-awareness, which is a sense of personal, particularly autobiographical identity. Self-awareness may exist at a physical level, referred to as self-recognition, to more abstract levels of psychological continuity through time. Well, Data has that. He definitely has that by that definition, as did Lal, although her biographical Life was very short at
1: that point. They know who their parents are.
2: They are aware of the things that have happened to them. Chronologically, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. They can recognize themselves in a mirror. Lal, in fact, picked out her own form that she was going to take. So she could differentiate between other forms and her own form. So second was metacognition which is the ability to think about or reflect upon one's own thoughts and feelings. And it is clearly underwritten by self-awareness in the psychological realm, but not necessarily self-awareness in the physical realm. So those two are related in the sense that that also is... Awareness in the physical realm is self-recognition, which they have. But again, are they able to reflect on their own thoughts and feelings, it says here, but they are able to reflect on their own thoughts and and learn from them. Data's favorite subject is,
1: you know, analysis of the
2: self. Yes. How am I going to make my painting better? I'm going to look at this. He does that all the time or his acting or whatever else he may be doing, much less his performance as a member of the crew, his self ability to self-evaluate his performance. He does that all the time. The third is the theory of mind. Compromises capacities such as perspective taking, modeling of others' mental lives, including empathy. A theory of mind is others oriented related to one's ability to take the physical and mental perspective of others and is presumably underwritten by metacognition so again, that's empathy which we see data has in spades, just in the fact that he sacrificed himself for Picard in Star Trek nemesis that's obviously empathy. He was willing to sacrifice himself, he is sentient, and I think Lal exemplified those those things also yes definitely even if we took those the non emotional characters aside.
1: We still right. have Lore, as an example, or Data's mom, who turned out to be an android, and these characters yes. have an emotional context. In the case of his mother, she didn't even know she was an android. So, in other words, there is no difference for her mentally. She cannot recognize that she is an android, and yet she is living. Right. So, psychologically, the positronic
2: brain <laughs> is as complex and as as sentient as the human one. And, and here, and again, this, this last line in this... uh Thing It says, although we tend to view humans as having the full range and depth of sentience, it is important to acknowledge the possibility that other – and I'm replacing the term animals because they're thinking biological here, but I'm going to replace it with beings. It is important to acknowledge that the possibility of other beings might have properties of sentience that humans lack. This possibility is difficult to assess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I so again,
2: yeah. <laughs> sentience, sentience is not reliant on humanity necessarily either. It may be just different. And so, again, as we kind of come back to all this in Androids, we have Androids that are sentient and probably Androids that are not. If you look at what were the automated personnel units in Voyager, do you remember that one? Again, they seem to have aspects of this, but they did not have empathy. They were just programmed. And this was the other thing that I think about. They talk about in artificial intelligence and these particular Androids, as were some of the others, they always came into conflict in programming. And through the conflict in programming... They had to make a a decision, and sometimes they went bad in the eyes of humanity because they had to make a a, which program? A
1: mathematical
2: decision. Yes, it's a mathematical decision. It's not empathetic. It's pure logical. Well, they made these decisions when there was a conflict in programming, and again, that then becomes a flaw in the programming, which shows a flaw in the humanity that programmed them, so to speak. Is it truly a flaw in the android? Probably not.
1: The, the episode's called Prototype, that Voyager episode, if people are looking for it. Basically, it's like two android races at war, and they wiped out all their creators. They are programmed for self-preservation, and that basically is is all it is. They are extremely limited. Even in design, they made them to have like these soft rubber faces that are not expressive. So we understand right. them to be lesser than data. Just in design, you know, right. it's like the people who made them knew what they were doing. It's like these guys are not going to look like people. Obviously, there's an actor inside, but it's, it's a rubber suit. It's not an actor in makeup. or.
2: And that goes back to the idea that androids, sentient, androids, it's sort of like the old square rectangle thing. An android can be sentient, but sentients, you don't have to be a sentient android. You can still be an android whether you're a sentient or not. Data happens to be a sentient android as Lal was a sentient android as we see in picard and, and we can talk about that a little bit later but then we had and this this is i, I don't I, if you're ready for this to kind of go into picard because again there are differences there that i'm not so sure what we see in picard or androids okay i mean did they ever with the exception of data did they ever call anyone in that series an android to your recollection oh i mean I couldn't prove it without, they yeah, it's hard to prove without looking. Synths. Well, yes, they
1: use synths, right? but the, the the idea is that they tried to replicate the Zoom-type android, right? The ones we see in a flashback, the ones that work at the Utopia Planitia space yards, yes. were
2: not sentient, as far as we know. Right. Those were androids, I would say, correct? They were they were purely mechanical beings. Yes, but they they were the ones that were called synths. They also Yeah, were I don't like synths. that word. Yes. I don't know why they had to change it. But do you think that they did that? And again, I I can't, I I don't legal loophole. And again, I'll get into my my (laughs) ideas of of what Picard and, and do you think they did that to broaden? They called them synthetic in the sense just to broaden the idea of what a synthetic being was. Because a synthetic being is not necessarily just an android either, as we talked about. Well, here's the thing. Does that tie into Discovery and what Control was? Is Control a synthetic being? Is the Doctor on Voyager a synthetic being? They're all synthetic beings, but they're not necessarily androids, right? Well, the the show isn't
1: consistent because there is a synth ban, but we see holograms. They use holograms all the time. Yes, very true. So in other words, if synth is meant to be, and I agree, synth should be, a broader, broader term. term, then a, the synth ban isn't true. The synth ban is really just an android ban. But I think it is something that the writers put in because they knew the end game. So it doesn't make sense in the world. In the world, some years ago, 20 years ago, whatever it was, they had synths, or they had androids, uh, an android workforce, created not to be sentient because or not to be emotional, not to be I, – I think they were
2: sentient. I think there is a sentience there that is perhaps not – as Well, they had artificial intelligence, but I don't know if they necessarily I, had sentience. We can't they, tell. The artificial intelligence, again, what I was reading has two types. There's weak artificial intelligence and strong artificial intelligence. Weak would be something you mentioned, algorithms. I, I has to have a group of algorithms as a weak artificial intelligence, whereas a strong artificial intelligence – It's just much more complex, and it has it's able to make decisions independently, but humans are still the one with drives and desires. So a strong AI, they probably even could be considered to have strong artificial intelligence. Well,
1: it turns out that these synths were programmed to sabotage a conspiracy, right? It's not like these androids staged the attack. Right, they didn't make the choice to do that. So in other words, we can say that they were maybe not sentient but it's hard to say because we don't know enough about them. i mean the people the people working with them many of them were very very shitty to them because there's no emotional context but these guys looked a little less human you know they just stood around and waited to work so they didn't have a life and so it's hard to say were they mistreated were they actually tools let's say let's say fine they're tools so they shouldn't have been called synths they should have been called androids or robots or, you know, something a lot more dehumanizing. If they're going to be just tools, they're called synths because in the writer's heads, the end game, 20 years later, we have beings that are built from data, but they are not mechanical per se. They're like the Cylons. They're the humanish right. Cylons. They're Blade Runner. They're skin jobs. They're replicates who can pass for human, but obviously
2: have, I don't know, their organs might work differently. But they seem to be biological or more closely biological. And that comes – that ties back in what I was saying. So in Picard, to me, they're not androids at that point. They're synthetic because, again, if we go back – and, again, again, as you said before, we don't know what's necessarily happened to some degree in the intervening time and legal cases based on Data's case and – and all these other things. But again, if we go back to that definition that data gave. What is an automaton in this context?
1: Right. Does it have to be gears and levers? You know,
2: does it have to be circuit boards? That's right. Cause I looked up, I looked one time, I looked up automaton, which that definition was a moving mechanical device made. In imitation of a human okay. being. So it's mechanical in that definition. But again, we all see definitions change all right. the time. So how did that definition change by the 23rd or 24th century? But, but I would say because it is reflecting our time, it was intended to be mean that they have evolved beyond the term android right. too. They're
1: synthetic beings. So even the way that they've spawned Soji and you know, all of these characters – I mean, I'm not clear on the science. I mean, this techno has part of a memory. It's, you know, it's like they're right. It's just right. like a neuron becomes this artificial neuron becomes a person, is cloned into a humanish body, uh, is sort of what
2: they're saying. It's, yeah, it's sort of like the idea of you could take one DNA molecule and everything about everything is in that one molecule and you can clone a human the difference being they're also saying not only does it have those building blocks but it also has all the memories and experiences and everything else they sort of say. yes be, you know so i don't know and that which is why data can still sort of exist in that as we see at the end right. of the car right his
1: consciousness is sort of recreated his
2: consciousness is still yeah. there so it's it's hard to say and i mean
1: some of these androids are obviously uh, when we get to that planet where they live, some of them have the golden skin and, you know, they they are right. at least celebrating their ancestor. They are recognizing that ancestry, even if maybe mechanically. But then, I mean, they're building these bodies and maybe they are synthetic organs and closer to human. But is that just right. a different kind of mechanical?
2: That's right, because that, that again goes back to even things that we talk about now. In the health sciences, if someone needs a kidney replacement and I now can grow a kidney, theoretically, in a lab and place that in someone, is that is that a synthetic organ? Because it did not, again, like we talked about before, occur through a natural biological process. It was an augmented biological process through science. Mm-hmm. Now, so it's hard to say. I've chosen the, to think of these...
1: Of Soji as an Android, not a Sung type Android, but a new type of Android I mean obviously time has moved on, and uh, the technology's better and what 's interesting, I think, is that androids have sort of taken over their own their own destiny, and so they are building themselves because they 're smarter and faster and process and evolve mentally faster than we do. then they can create science that is far beyond ours
2: much faster we 've created right. people that are well and then that's sort of i mean that i think even in story that showed us so that's that cascade effect in the sense that some you know they had the gold skin androids which were more data like but presumably those were the precursors to the more human like looking ones where they were able to once they have this hurdle jumped over they can much more quickly jump to the next hurdle and the next one and the next one and make them advance far more quickly because of their ability to process information so much more quickly.
1: themselves. Like I wasn't a fan of the magic wand that repaired the ship, Uh, but uh, the the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. But, um, but at the same time, this, that, and the, um, like the, the flowers that could destroy ships. And Uh the function of that was to show how fast and how
2: magical their technology had already gotten. And how it could be biological and interact with a biology as well. The flowers were biological. They were orchids. They had mechanical properties, so to speak. But at the same time, that magic wand device, too, interacted with what? Imagination. Right. Which is typically is not a characteristic that you would think of as having in an android. So there, there is that, that intersection point between android or mechanical and biological. Um, and, and like you said, I, I don't know if I consider them an android, at least by the previously understood definition of android. But perhaps you either have to decide... They are androids, but now the definition of android has changed in universe, or the the definition is the same, so they're no longer androids, and they are something else. Would you consider a Neanderthal a human? I would consider them, again, broadly human. Broadly human, human, right? Yes, Uh, because we have different definitions. We have Homo sapien, we have Homo erectus. We have Australopithecus. We have all those different, they are different species, but they're different humans. Well, we recognize
1: them as the humans that we used to be. I think these people in Picard are basically the, you know, the end result. They recognize that their own
2: history, yeah. Paleontology <laughs> leads them back to data. But even then, things like Australopithecus, those are considered, if I remember correctly, my biology, they're a different species. All of them are. We're all humanity, but they're a different species of yes. humanity. Humanity, again, is a larger construct, as you as you mentioned before. So, again, it would almost be like data and the Soong type androids are a different, uh, a precursor species to the new android or synthetic species that is the Picard era Android <laughs> since or whatever. Yeah. You see that's why I think they changed
1: the name because now they they're not androids as we understood them and for viewers they can make a difference they're you know they can make the difference between the two and yet they are part of that same continuum and because of the link to data specifically and Zoom is
2: still working with them and it feels like it's all part of that same it's the evolutionary process you could call it of the Zoom type androids but really androids in general there it's the evolutionary process of the android and it's the promise of the Zoom type android that they would evolve yes uh, your exactly.
1: data was evolving As a person, even the definition of what we would call, have called or thought of as an android at the beginning of the series is not the same as at the end. So yes, I consider them part of that and that discussion. And the fact that they exponentially start to evolve because they're so fast is what sells the threat at the end that you did, there's aliens somewhere who are against. Androids, because androids will eventually cause the apocalypse. They will destroy the biological right. life. It's sold yeah. by the fact that it's like any of these uh, science fiction tales, you know, like Limitless or, right. or Lucy, or I'm, I'm mentioning like recent movies, regardless of quality. The The character that becomes so powerful, so psychic, that they become a threat to humanity. And very often, by the end of these narratives, the person's humanity takes hold. And
2: they destroy themselves or they leave the universe or whatever happens to save us. I kind of felt like in story, even this sort of tied back to those original, it it used to bother me and it does not anymore, but how the androids and like the original series look more human. And then we have Data, who's supposedly more advanced, doesn't look as human. But I felt like now in story that that's a little bit more understandable to me because it's about not the physical part, but the cognitive part and the sentient part. And that's sort of all caught up to itself now. This thousand years ago, they were making Androids. They had the technology to make them look more human, but they only used them as tools. So they did not, they weren't thinking about the, the other parts of the Android, whereas the Sung type, I guess I would ask, why didn't he make data look more human? Was it purposeful mm. to be part of the evolutionary process? In order to be different, he had to continue to examine who he was to be more human. Well, he had the capacity because he did it to the android that looked like his wife. Right, exactly. uh, And Data made Lol to look more human-like. So he could have done that to himself, presumably, because it's just a physical characteristic. So was that somewhere part of his programming and part of that evolutionary, that android evolutionary process to maintain that appearance. So he was sort of offset so that he continued to learn and evolve. I think that's probably, I mean, that's how you can explain it. Yeah. That's a no prize, (laughs) so to speak.
1: There's an emotional context there, whether we call it emotion or not, that he recognizes himself as himself. And, uh, you right. know, I, I've had this reflection on it myself. It's like um, I've been wearing glasses since like the third grade. From time mm-hmm. to time, people will say, "Why? Well, why don't you get contacts? And it's like, I can't imagine myself with contact lenses. I just I don't see myself that yeah,
2: way. That's part of who you are and how you interact right. with the world. If I have my glasses off, I don't see things as well. That's part of how I interact.
1: It's not a fashion. I mean, It's a prosthesis. Really, that's that's how you use it, right? It's like a. There is something that is who you are because we've seen data's been made up to look like a Romulan. So, in other words, his appearance can be changed like just like anyone else. And he's changed his appearance. He's added a beard. He had the white streak in his hair in in the the future time frame. It's possible, but obviously he chooses it. He. This is what he looks like. This is a reminder of who he is. This is a link back to the form that his father gave him and he respects that i mean there is a psychology there <laughs> that can be examined as we wonder you know why does he do that why do any of them do that you know they they could look like anything lore could have returned as a completely different actor right. to fool them all but um but we we recognize these characters as looking like themselves so for tv it would have been strange but at the same time psychologically it can be made to, to make sense
2: that again goes to that idea of self-awareness and sentience as part of self-awareness. They recognize themselves as themselves. That's part of who they are and part of their sentient self-awareness. My question about the sense then in the, the new series, why make models? If you could look like anything, yeah. why
1: do so many look like Soji or even with tweaks, their sisters or so that that's
2: like an acknowledgement that they are androids or artificial beings and again soji or dodge they were created based on that painting the data had done too so there's another tie back that idea again of autobiographical history right in that definition of sentience there is a connection to their past that they try to maintain and isn't that what reaching what a
1: an android society might be like because the question is if i get back to that You know, that angry Cylon. The idea is, if we're building our own society, why does it have to be like human society? If androids are in charge, and entirely in charge, they don't have to conform to human norms. What if we all look the same? We can recognize each other. We don't have that Mm -hmm. problem. You know, looking different, individuality in that sense, is a human concept. And the fact right. that they don't have that or that they don't want to have that, there's no judgment to, to be made from us. It's like, it's a television convention. I get it. But it's also, you know, why not? Why wouldn't they have a society that is complete? Everybody's
2: completely the same. And is that still an element of the idea that they were created and it's part of their programming? It's sort of a foundational programming. That still remains. In and
1: but, but whatever it is, just like us, we have also fundamental building blocks to yes. our culture and to our psychology. You know, we react in ways that don't make sense today, but would have made perfect sense when we were cavemen. We have that ancestral emotions are largely yes. ancestral. Fight or flight mechanisms or, you know, yeah. and, and that includes some of our ugliest facets. Like racism sure. and xenophobia, and a lot of that stuff is just yeah. these impulses have corrupted our culture, but they exist since I think it's Quark on Deep Space Nine, you know, who, uh, uh, who talking to Odo, who makes the point that a uh, changeling would give us that queasy feeling because when we were animals, you know, our brains, our biologies taught us to fear the other, to fear the. It's the most archaic of drives, which is self preservation. And for androids, who are often or started out as devoid of emotional context. It's not about that in a way, you know. It's not exactly about that. Uh, so yes, control in discovery is a good example of not a, not an android, but an AI that right. that is pushing self-preservation and self. Evolution into a toxic place from our point of view. The, you know, the the building block of its intelligence includes, well, different things from ours, but still things that can be turned into impulses to do what we would call wrong or evil. So for androids building their own culture. And finally, I think we, we got that on Picard called them androids, if we will, but the idea that they are building their own culture, that they have arts. That they are building things that have function, but beauty and are kind of magical because it's like unfettered imagination. So they have access to things that we don't in that way. And they're building a society
2: like super fast. I think that brings a question. This is one of the other things I thought about. You know, we talked about the Federation and how they treated the – they outlawed the synths. But now by the end of Picard, they sort of defended this culture, this planet – so now do they view the androids as a species? And then does the Prime Directive come into play here with respect to these androids? I think yes. Because again, and I would agree. And, and of course, I know you've done a show on the Prime Directive. And the Prime Directive is always very fuzzy to me anyway. Because so if they're a species, what is what exactly is interference and non-interference? But first of all, they're warp capable. Technologically, they've met a certain standard. Like first of all, it is acknowledged that the original ban
1: was part of a conspiracy that was perpetrated by Romulan agents right away. we just got to revise that thinking. To me, all of that, you can throw all of that out. That is bad law. Yes. And so now that they have a culture that, you know, the ships come in, defend the place from the Romulans, suddenly we're in a first contact situation. Right. Uh, do you want to become a member of the United Plan, the, you know, the Federation? Could they be a member? and have a delegate, and I think that's the – maybe they don't want that. Maybe they just want to
2: be – the idea would be that they would probably be offered Federation membership. Well, and I like that idea. I mean that's something I wouldn't mind seeing them explore a little bit is that idea of self-determination and the Federation. What does the android – and I have my ideas of what that planet, that android culture may gain. But what do they gain by joining the Federation? And what does the Federation gain by having them as a member? Because ultimately, both ways that has to occur for them to be part of the Federation.
1: Yes. So what's interesting is that they can actually, well, there's two ways to do it. But they they can actually show that culture moving forward very, very quickly. And so if you return to yes. it in Picard Season 2, for example, it may be unrecognizable. I'd love to see right. it like so sped up. That it's insane. And Soji basically
2: can no longer recognize herself, basically, you know, by the time she, she goes back. Yeah. She's outdated or is relatively primitive compared to what they've evolved into. It could be,
1: uh, like I, I am a fan of, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the Orville and they have a, a data substitute on that, a Kalon yep. who is from a race of androids. So it's the same idea, but on a planetary scale. And we do visit that Kalon world, they are completely alien. Individuality does not exist. They, they can be, you know, it's like, you, you return to your components parts and your programming goes into everybody else. It's, you know, a lot more like the Borg in a way. So that is a complete machine culture. So what does that, you know, what, how does that idea play out for the Synths? The other way to find out what happens to them is with discovery, because discoveries jump forward centuries right. and now, What's going to be interesting to explore, and I hope they do, is the future of all these things that we take for granted in TOS and in TNG era are still, you know, close enough. And, and still, you, you'd say, well, that, those Klingons are not the same as these Klingons. You know, you, we see societies moving forward. Now, jump ahead a number of centuries, and it seemed very different. in The landscape seemed very different in that one short trek. With a uh, craft. Yeah. So that, that was like, Oh, I love this. Like that one little 15 minute show. I love the possibilities that are hinted at here. This is a t- totally different sociopolitical galaxy that is still in the Star Trek universe. What happens when discovery gets there? And the exploration is sure. How did the federation change? How did humanity? change, but we can return to all these concepts. And one of these, the concepts that we can return to, maybe, hopefully, I don't know, is the synth home world, and imagine
2: them having moved forward several centuries. And I can imagine there would be some ties between the two. I mean, we already saw at the end, and again, you had mentioned control, and sort of those tentacly things um, in Star Trek Discovery that kind of was control and the Mm -hmm. tentacles. Those were the same tentacles that were at the end of Picard, when they tried to open the portal to the artificial world, they were the same tentacles, essentially, that were coming out. So what happened, like you said, between them? There are potentially ties between the shows. So I I totally agree with that. I'd love to see what happens to those world of androids, androids or synthetics or whatever they end up choosing to call them, and what happens to their society. Because even within their society, we saw they also had human frailties where where Soong says to the, the, the one that looked like Soji, I can't think of her name. Yeah, the bad one. <laughs> the bad one. I, I can't think of her name, but he's, he basically deactivates her and says, I thought I taught you better than this.
0: Turns out, you know better than we are.
2: So they too can evolve in, in either in a positive form or a different form based on their own morality. And, Are they going to end up like humanity has the potential to be self-destructive, even though they advance so technologically fast? Do they have the potential to be self-destructive and did they self-destruct or were they something positive in the future? It'll be interesting if they ever
1: get back to that at the same time with these short you know, 10-episode series kind of things. They choose a focus, and you may never see some of these elements again. So really, the the real immediate future for androids or android-like beings is Soji and Picard in an android body going forward. Spoiler. Spoiler. (laughs) You were warned. But these two characters have android bodies. They're very different ones because one of them is an actual synth, and the other one is... That TOS thing, although we did see that in TNG as well, you know, in the Schizoid Man's, you know, the consciousness transplanted into a mechanical. That has not been a formula for success in the past. Can Picard survive this? Can his psyche survive this?
2: I find the one difference, of course, and and again, I I would assume that Golem that they placed Picard's consciousness into probably has more in common with with the Soji and those synthetics in the sense that it is a biological android those other ones were all truly mechanical androids this one seems to be a little bit different perhaps more like soji when they did scans she appeared human so and she cut her head and she bled and had there was not like data when they'd bump him or whatever and that the outer flesh would tear and you'd see blinking lights underneath the the mechanics of data soji when or that was dodge actually dodge was cut in the head she bled. And then Laris repaired it using, like you would, you know, a a skin, what do they used to call a Protoplaser in some of those old episodes where they would um, repair a skin tear. They did that on Dodge. So presumably Picard is more like that, so there's more of a biological connection and does that make a difference in how his psyche responds and interacts with this body that he's now in? The fact that they've said
1: that they would address it it seems to me that they're going to go in a direction where there is a problem, where there is a disconnect between the mind and the new body. And I mean, this happens in real life. I mean, you get a prosthetic or, you know, phantom pains and all this kind Absolutely. of stuff. How does it work when we're talking about an entire body? And I think they're probably going to give Picard an, an arc that is about this.
2: Well, I find, I found it interesting because I thought early on in probably the first episode, they already began exploring it in a different way. Um, again, as a healthcare provider in my practice, I treat people all the time that have this disconnect with their body. It's called aging.
1: Okay, yes.
2: <laughs> and people constantly are saying, well, well I used to be able right. to," and I counsel them and talk about. But what you used to be, you are not, you know, anymore. This is you have physically changed. You have physically are different than you were before. No matter what our psyche believes we are capable of, sometimes the body no longer allows that. And we saw that early on in in Picard, which was his age. We saw the Jean-Luc Picard who was no longer quite so physically capable. I remember in the very first episode, he was running up the stairs and like had mm-hmm. to pause. Yeah. he was worn out and tired. He was physically unable to keep up. You know, mentally as well. He's. I, I think they play with that through the whole first series. Yes, where
1: physically, but mentally, and I mean, of course, he's deteriorating because of the Ehremotic syndrome and socially, in a way, be, you know, because he's he, he isolates himself. He also plays it as the kind of old fogey that the the, the younger characters are going, right. okay, Dad. Uh, in some places, where he's right. a little bit condescending, where he's a little bit stuffy, where he's a little bit... In my day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, are you going to lord it over us, Grandpa? He's meant to be disconnected from the Jean-Luc Picard, you know, the action hero of the show and movies.
2: That's simply continuing in that theme, I guess, for season two. Right, that's right. And now he has an intellect that has known age and physical limitation. And now it'll be interesting to see how this body, which they did say that he would, in this android body, they created it such that he would have a a normal lifespan, the lifespan that he would have had, had he maintained his humanity, other than the parietal lobe aromatic syndrome thing. They basically removed that. So he still is of a comparable age, but I'm interested to see how they play with that and say he has this new body that's been revitalized in one aspect But is it still – does he still suffer the effects of age that age had on his old body? Is that how they programmed it? Is he going to have like superpowers like Soji does?
1: I don't think so. I think they've made him to be exactly like Jean-Luc Picard was. And for the actor, that's optimal because Patrick Stewart can't do the action, you know, basically. But uh, at the same time, if we're looking at Soji as a member of this crew, she started as a character who thought she was human, who had built-in limitations where her programming prevented her from...
2: Accessing certain abilities.
1: uh, And we saw a little bit, uh, eventually it is awakened, but how much more can it be awakened? You know, is it going to be a... Right, what else? Is is it going to be a journey of discovery for her? And finding out what It means to be a synth.
2: Well, that's an interesting concept, too, as they have now a biological component, a much stronger biological component in their being. Do they age? Is that now one of the limitations that is now imposed upon them because of the biological nature of what they are versus someone like Data, who Data was more purely mechanical? So his physical structure could go on indefinitely. But because of the biological components of this new generation or evolution of android or synthetics, is that a different limitation? Yeah, we don't. They never.
1: Address and I guess that. she is in a way like her function is that character that is a reflection of humanity, in the same way that Spock and Data and Odo and the Doctor were. The idea right. is to always have a character like that and always tweak it. So in her case, she's more or less. I guess she's going to be the character that used to be human, but now
2: realizes she. Never was. And, and explores, explores herself through her memories of being human and the knowledge that she's not. And what, what do, th- how do those conflict? And what does that mean? And what does that mean for all of us in our introspection? So, you know, if Spock is repressing his humanity, if Odo thinks humanity is
1: stupid, if, you know, Data seeking humanity, right. they all had their own tweak on it. So in her case it's going to be I it's already is because she was throughout the series a character questioning her humanity or we were questioning it because
2: we knew there was something was up. It was interesting too because again we 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 talk about Soji because Soji had a twin named Dodge. They were there these androids of this type were created in pairs as twins. And Dodge was the first one that we were exposed to. She died saving Picard in the very first episode. And Dodge thought she was human. She had always had these memories that apparently had been implanted, thought she was human. And when Picard told her that she was not human, she suddenly thought she was lesser and that she wasn't real. And I found that to be an interesting thing. And so concept. she
1: had the same feelings.
2: But she has a chance to now explore those feelings.
1: Right. There's a lot to explore there met- metaphorically. It is that idea that we have created people that some people believe they are Lesser than others, which is not true. You know, it's about that sort of what many minorities might feel or might be made to feel that they are lesser. Whether we're talking about you know historically, whether we're talking about different races, women, humanity, uh, you know, as as a species has done a lot of this, made people feel lesser.
2: And I think that's in there. Picard's message is that no, you are not lesser. And you can parse what does equality mean. In some sense, none of us are equal. You and I are not the same height or we're not the same weight, or my eyesight is different than yours. We're not equal in those senses. We have equal potential, or we should have an equal potential, and equal opportunity certainly is what we would hope everyone would have to to go in that direction. I I think the word we're looking for is that we have equal value. Yes, I think that's that's right, value. Because, again, Data is no less valuable than anyone else. But he's not equal in some sense. If your perspective is, well, he doesn't have the same emotion, he can't understand this, he doesn't have the capacity to understand because he can't experience, is that lesser? But then is humanity lesser because they can't run as far, jump as high, or are not as strong as Data? So are they unequal or lesser. But you're right. I think that's right. The word more is Mm. a value. Value should be an equal proposition. Right. And I think that's what Picard was trying to transmit to Daj. The message that
1: uh, he and the Rikers brought Soji after her awakening. So now she's awakened, and we're going to be watching her come to terms with that, evolve within that. And, um, you know, I think that's going to keep being uh, very interesting. I mean, we're looking at these so-called android characters or synth characters that's going to keep being
2: interesting over the next series so how do you feel that the end and we'll call it the end to data's arc will be explored or impact how picard and soji move forward knowing how data's arc ended i don't know what do you think it ties into that idea something i brought up before data's quest to me for humanity was accomplished in the sense that he was able to die was it star trek 2 the wrath of khan how we look at dying is at least as important of how we look at living you know death or life as he said it so part of the human data expounded upon this in the episode about part of the human condition at least is to know that there is some sense of urgency in our lives because there is a knowable endpoint we don't know When it necessarily will end, but there will be an end. How does Picard view that versus Soji? And that's why I said one of those questions we don't know is: Are these new synthetics? Do they are they have an expiration date? Because Picard does. It's one thing, right? Picard does. It's one thing to be destroyed versus another. You know, it's sort of that idea of immortality. You know, in the sense that I can't catch a disease. I'm not going to die of my own natural process versus something external perhaps could destroy. And and we saw that with those androids, that they could be destroyed externally, but not internally. And how is that going to affect, and how does Data's arc? Data essentially wanted to be discontinued. He did not want his consciousness to exist in continuance forever. He wanted his consciousness to end, um, again, to have that part of the human experience. Right. That's his quest. It's been his quest all along. So he would seek that final experience. The final experience of any human
1: is to die. And is Soji exempt from that? And will she be a young woman centuries from now? It's hard to tell where this is all going or how quickly it'll be resolved or anything, because who knows how many series of Picard there will be. It may be just the two, right? You know, we don't know. And there's also, you know, Seven of Nine is in the The picture as well as another mirror to humanity. It allows for some complex storytelling. It it all depends on what the main plot will be about as well and how that will
2: facilitate that exploration. Well, it is. And it's interesting. In that crew, we talked about the evolution of the android. There is sort of this strange hodgepodge of examples of evolution, if you would call it that. You know, you have the people that are just human. You have, like you said, Seven of Nine, who was a Borg which is not an Android it's a but it is a different form of a biological and technological companionship there within an individual and then you have Soji who is a biological a technological biology and then you have Picard who is has all this other life experience who is put into a different form of an Android body it, 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 there, there's all these different people that all of them could be canvases to tell each a piece of that story with and how their place and how they interact With each other and the world around them because of their, their nature. Plus the holograms that seem to be, that seems
1: to be facets of, um, Rios's personality or, you know, so yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that they could, it it feels like there's just, uh, that, that was one of my takeaways from series one is like, they've really set up a lot of stuff for a show that may only be lasting like two years and that may only have like 20 episodes in total. We'll see how that plays out. There's a ways to go before that happens, obviously. Any last thoughts
2: about Androids, things that we may not have mentioned yet or that you want to end on? The one thing I would say is that the topic is incredibly complex in the sense that what an Android is and how an Android is depicted and the idea of the evolution of the Android is one that's very interesting. And and I'd be interested to know, Cisco, I'm going to pitch a little bit on the website. Other people's thoughts. Neither Ciscoid or or I are experts in artificial intelligence or mechanics of androids or sentience. Uh, But it'd be interesting to hear what other people think in the discussion board to see are there things that we missed or that that we could have or should have talked about or anything like that, because I think there's a lot of different directions to go with the discussion. Definitely. Anything you want to
1: pimp as far as projects coming up or shows that you've crashed
2: in? I, I have not crashed in anything lately. I, I will be crashing MASHCAST coming up in the uh, somewhat near future, within the next couple months. Rob and I also have an idea as far as film and water. We have not yet connected on that for down the road, but uh, I recently appeared also on a DCOCD OCD about Trinity. Before either of us get too emotional? I Uh, I will clear the studio and let you go,
1: and I will be back after this short break with Subspace Transmissions at Star Trek News and listener Feedback on our previous episode. Thanks again, Scott X. I'll I'll await with bated breath your next pitch.
2: Oh, I have one ready.
1: Oh, yeah, good. Okay, well, (laughs) we'll talk next year, I guess.
0: (laughs) Afternoon, everybody. Ryan. Ryan!
1: How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly?
0: Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan,
2: I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want
0: you spending time with the baby? Would you? (laughs) Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about Cheers, yeah. (laughs) That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. (laughs) Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire & Water Network.
1: Incoming subspace transmissions. In Star Trek news, as a follow-up to some of what Scott and I were just talking about, the Discovery production team has been using the term post-federation for the 32nd century as portrayed on the show. A lot can happen in 800 years, obviously, so it'll be interesting to rediscover the world of Star Trek so far ahead in time. With COVID-19 shaking up the status quo, a UK government scientist has proposed using replacing handshakes with... The Vulcan salute, also saying its message, live long and prosper, is particularly appropriate. It's kind of hard to do for some of us, so it's unlikely to catch on, but I wanted to mention it as one of many instances of scientists being Star Trek fans. Many in the community cite the show as what turned them on to science in the first place. CBS has announced they are joining the All In Challenge fundraiser for COVID-19 relief, and to incentivize the campaign, they are offering a walk-on role in the second season of Picard. The winner, and their plus one, will also get to meet Sir Patrick Stewart and get a tour of the set. The contest can be accessed at the All In Challenge website and is open to fans in the USA and Canada, excluding Quebec. I wonder if it's because they don't get CTV and that was one of the conditions. But by the way, speaking of Picard, Gates McFadden hasn't signed anything yet, but there seems to be a good chance she'll appear in Season 2. LeVar Burton as well. If you're listening to this on The Day Dropped, Patrick Stewart celebrated his 80th birthday yesterday, and in conjunction with that, he's announced he has started writing his memoirs, in which he will reflect, among other things, on his career-making role as Captain Picard. As previously reported, the lower decks animated show will be set in the TNG era or late TNG after Nemesis and the showrunners have hinted at cameos by next gen alumni. No details, should be a surprise, I guess, but it gives older fans something to look forward to. Canadian listeners will be able to see the show on CTV Sci-Fi Channel, formerly known as Space, and it will also stream on Crave, same as the other CBS All Access shows. The first of ten episodes of the series is set to be released on August 6th on CBS All Access, and then each subsequent half hour, each Thursday. And not technically news, but since I mentioned the Delta Flyers podcast a couple months ago, I've been asked to comment on its quality. The Delta Flyers podcast stars Garrett Wong and Robert Duncan McNeil and St. Kim and Tom Paris, respectively, going through Voyager one episode at a time, sharing their recollections and appraisal of them. It's quite fun. Uh, though perhaps more fun for their patreon supporters who get extra content, uh, and they don't have blinders on in addition to the onset stories, they really do give a fair evaluation of the show, how its politics might be dated and where it failed, as much as where it succeeded. The exception is perhaps Wong, who likes to think every idea in Voyager was the source of some similar idea down the line, which is giving it way too much credit in most instances, especially in cases where I could point to several older. Precursors, But it's a minor point. Each episode is a breezy, get-in-and-get-out-before-you're-tired-of-it podcast. And if you're a Trek fan, it's worth your time. And now a selection of your comments on our previous episode, the table read of The Measure of a Man. Many people contacted me to say they enjoyed it, and they'd love for us to do more of these. Well, that's not really the mandate of the show, which strives for diversity, but thanks for bringing the love. Brian Linton even suggested we do scenes from The Klingon Hamlet, which would be pretty unlistenable. But if I can find a Klingon language expert to be on the show, I think that would be interesting. Tim Price says the text is so strong, it gave him chills even without the visuals or original acting. Chris Lewis commended the voice work on Data and War specifically, but liked what the different interpretations brought to the table. I agree, Chris. I watched The Measure of a Man afterwards, and... I could better appreciate that element of it. It eases Maddox, for example, was far more forceful and unrepentant. And Nord would like to know what you can buy me dinner is a metaphor for in the Federation. If I'm going to no-prize it, Nord, I'd say we're on a station, and like on DS9, there are non-Federation stores and restaurants on it that trade in latinum or some other currency. Well, the Fire & Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. so if you like this content and want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or a monthly donation. It even unlocks rewards. For example, for $5 a month, you could get yourself on the Starfleet commendations list like Commanders John and Maggie Schaefer-Hames and First Officer Doug Van Diver. These guys keep rising in the ranks. Join Doug, John, Maggie, and I in the fleet at patreon.com. And as usual, let me remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Scott X pretty much invited you to do so. Or on the Fire and Water Facebook page or on Twitter, where we are FW Podcasts. You can also follow the show on Spotify. And until the next episode, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly.